0: Break down, baby. Subscribe to your award-winning independent community radio, bringing you coverage of community issues and events. This is Beta Base Camp. Welcome to the Little Red Selangi Treehouse. As you said, I'm down at the East West Tunnel Ticket, as it usually does, starts at 5.30am. Uh,
1: the Lincoln Melbourne Authority have come here in the middle of the night and set up another drill rig here on Gold Street. The police were pretty keen to defend that with all their resources this morning.
0: And I think for Australians, in order to know ourselves, really fully know ourselves, in order to mature, we need to understand Aboriginal culture. We need to embrace it and realise that in coming here, you're now part of the longest continuing culture in the world. We need your support. Subscribe today. Call 9419 8377 now. And welcome to The Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald. And today I'm excited because I have one of my uh, childhood legends on the show. Kenneth Davidson, who we've all read in The Age for... Well, decades since 1974 he's been writing so of course uh, with this budget season upon us we had to delve into uh, what's been happening uh, in the federal sphere this week last week we dipped into uh, the victorian state budget and today it's uh, the federal budget so uh, let's delve into it and hopefully we can bring you some perspectives you will not hear on any other uh, media shows so uh, fantastic to be on the three Airwaves support 3CR. The Liberal Party was arguably the world's best opposition party. But now they're in government, the budget emergency is a minor consequence. Kenneth Davidson, how did you rate last night's federal budget?
1: Well, I thought there was a total disconnect between uh, the budget and their argument that the budget was not about who wins and who loses, but it's about long term economic growth and jobs. Because the way I see their fiscal strategy, that's not going to a- a- achieve the long term growth and the jobs unless they're uh, uh, very, very lucky. It's a sort of, it's as if they believe that just simply by c- cutting back on government spending, cutting taxes, and cutting the deficit, this will somehow spontaneously make room for the private sector to leap in and fill the gap. Well, I don't think that's the way the economy works. And if you look at the the uh, attachments to the budget, which are largely written by the Treasury, you can see that there all the risks in terms of the budget are on the downside. They quote the IMF, which is uh, downgrading its... Um, Forecast quite uh, recently, and it says that the the three things that have kept the economy going, in a sense, better than um, what it what it may have, was the price adjustments um, allowed by the exchange rate, interest rates, and and wages. And I think that's right. I think the cutting the uh, official rates by the Reserve Bank on the day of the budget any benefits of which will flow will be through the impact of that on lowering the exchange rate uh, so uh, perhaps making our exports a little bit more competitive and uh, also import competing competing industries because we are now in the situation i think where we're rapidly getting the situation that other countries are where uh, people for instance like myself who depend on retirement incomes are uh, the amount of money that you have to have behind you has has got to go up tremendously because the flattening of interest rates and profitability. So in the short term, that cut in interest rates will probably, on balance, I would say, have a slightly more deflationary impact than an expansionary impact in the very, very short term.
0: Many people are saying that the interest rate cut may well have a greater effect on the economy than what was announced in last night's uh, rather lacklustre budget, which, uh, whilst it did have some forward costings for its headline reform uh, of, of moving towards a 25% company tax rate uh, over the next decade, uh, uh, the issue is... Uh, uh, who's really going to pay for that? And whilst there were some superannuation reforms uh, at the top end, uh, it seemed like the top 20% of wage earners are going to be the ones who, who do benefit from the uh, increase in the income tax threshold from $80,000 to $87,000. Well,
1: the, the rich who benefit uh, who will benefit most from this budget They're also the people who have the highest propensity to save. So it's not going to affect their expenditure very much. Again, if you look at the the forecasts which underlie the budget, the forecasts which are primarily the responsibility of the Treasury, it shows that most of the private uh, expenditure areas, consumption and private investment, excluding uh, mining, are all very flat. So we are relying on household income somehow to push the economy along. And the only way it can do that, if wages are flat, there's no real growth in, uh, in wages or, and not a strong growth in employment, again, I think you can see from the budget figures, then the only way that uh, households will be able to lead this uh, uh, recovery in growth is if they're prepared to uh, increase household debt. Well, that's what's been happening, in fact, since uh, 2010, when uh, savings were about 8% of household incomes. They're now down to 6%. it will have to decline further if we're going to see that growth. And I suppose, it, it, in some senses, it makes sense. I mean, if you're going to uh, trash public education, if you're going to... Uh, are not properly fund uh, public hospitals. People have got to make private provision for these things, and if they don't have an increase in income, the only way they can do it is by reducing their their savings. So it's not. I don't think it's quite as uh, good an outlook as what uh,
0: people think. Mm. Yes, the jobs and growth mantra was only repeated 13 times last night. And uh, reading the Financial Review's uh, Christopher Joy today, his hat. Uh, got an incredibly hard-hitting article uh, entitled no credible reforms at all just losses as far as the eye can see and the for an opposition party the liberals uh, that they've been out and about on the pressures of government debt and why there's this budget emergency and why these cutbacks are needed but uh, there's 86.3 billion losses over the the next four years and uh, they've only got uh, a two percent trimming of, of those those losses so it's uh, they really haven't cut back much and uh, joy goes on to say there's been an explosion in Commonwealth debt from 59 billion in 2008 to 497 billion by 2017 so well, we really do need to make some tough decisions Kenneth Davidson where do you think the government should be looking
1: well I'm not so uh, Paranoid about the level of debt. I mean, it's interesting again the f- fiscal strategy, it doesn't talk about anything else except uh, reducing uh, tax as a share of uh, uh, GDP to the 30 year average up until a couple of years ago. Net debt, they wanted to uh, uh, be reduced. Now, net debt at the moment is 19% of GDP. That's very low by international standards. The interest rates are low, and as we know, they're getting uh, moving into negative uh, territory. But already in terms of Australia, our net interest expense in the budget is 0.7% of GDP. Mm. That's hardly a big burden, particularly when you think if the money is invested sensibly uh, in terms of uh, the, the financing of that debt, that we should get a return far higher than the uh, uh, very small cost of uh,
0: interest. Well, some people are pointing to how Treasury likes to use net debt figures by including the $133 billion held by the Future Fund. But when you consider that within four years, uh, the Future Fund itself is going to need $195 billion just to meet unfunded public sector superannuation liabilities, uh, it doesn't quite look as good. And I, for one, have been someone who have been uh, sort of pointing the finger at the private debt rather than public debt issues but it seems to me that uh, now uh, the government debt to GDP ratio uh, will be at some 29% in 2017 5% above the GFC level, uh, you have to look at some of the expenditures aside and, and think uh, you know, if you were a liberal thinking politician post election what would you be looking at?
1: Well don't ask me what these people uh, are looking at. What I think all of us should be looking at is if our economy continued to grow at the long-term rate of just over 3% a year, um, there will be no problem with managing external debt. If inappropriate policies lead to a growth rate uh, closer to 1%, 1.5%, then we could be in, in trouble. But again... It comes back to how you invest uh, those uh, uh, those borrowings. And what we have at the moment is an unbalanced economy. It's very similar to the other Anglo-Saxon countries and some European countries. Austerity policies have been undermining the growth rate of the UK, even uh, uh, Germany, and... Um, and as a result monetary policy has to take up all the burden of uh, trying to prop up uh, the growth uh, a reasonable growth in expenditure and there's the uh, uh, there's the problem i think that uh, the uh, uh, monetary authorities are required to uh, make up the gap led By austerity, Mm, and and and, uh, the other element, where you know there's sort of waste here, we have the compulsory superannuation levy, which is now what nine and a quarter percent of wages, and that money is uh, mainly invested in in the uh, stock market. It's invested increasingly uh, in financial assets overseas as well. And where it's invested in Australia, they're looking around for high rates of return that are provided by these public-private partnerships, which are just simply wrought. So, things like the weighted cost of capital for uh, Victoria's um, desalination plant is 11 and a quarter percent. 11 and a quarter percent. That's four times the uh, long-term. Uh, a bond rate why are we uh, paying that sort of money and we're investing in roads and other things where the, the interest is not so much in the, uh, uh, the infrastructure what it does how viable it is how much it contrib- contributes to the economy but whether it's a deal which uh, yields high rates of turn, a return to the people who put their uh, or, uh, managing these funds
0: Mm, I did note that road expenditure looked to be up some 60% on last year's uh, funding.
1: Road, road
0: expenditure
1: is not the way to be uh, going. I mean, the government seems to have learnt that uh, tobacco is a, uh, a bad, a bad uh, way to spend your money it uh, has external costs in terms of the impact on on health so they feel free to whack up the uh, tax on health Uh, and so does the uh uh, the the opposition they have a a bipartisan policy there but if they can learn that uh, that these taxes which retard the growth of expenditure on bads uh, actually lead to structural improvements in the economy why can't they apply the same to say a sugar tax which is what the uk tories have done in their recent budget and most importantly of all a carbon tax yes by imposing a carbon tax we are rebalancing the economy in a way which is going to improve uh, growth and make the, the biggest uh, contribution in terms of expenditure in restructuring the economy.
0: Kenneth Davidson from uh, Fairfax Media. Uh, uh, there was a lot of noise made about the multinational tax uh, crackdown Uh, Some interesting points there with the diverted revenue type um, policy approach that seems to also be mimicking what the UK is doing, Uh, but uh, it's only going to add up to some uh, $650 million over four years. So it's peanuts really when you consider how many billions of dollars uh, we're in deficit and uh, it, I'm just wondering what's going to happen to the uh, the health budget and particularly the family tax benefits package um, from next year onwards if uh, the Conservative Party does indeed win this election.
1: Well, there's a lot of ruin in the world, isn't there? I think that in terms of the... Uh, uh, well, I think it's called the uh, uh, Google tax reforms... Um, they do, in fact. Well, they hope to in, uh, generate a lot more uh, revenue than uh, what was I? I think you said about two, two or three uh, billion dollars. But of course, a lot of that money is being recycled back into these uh, tax cuts, which will achieve nothing.
0: Mm, well,
1: nothing in terms of being an engine for growth. An engine for growth will, in this uncertain times, requires. A higher level of government spending and providing that spending is in areas like internalizing ex- externalities like pollution the health and the climate they will be good for growth and not bad so why aren't we looking there and i think it comes back to this idea that uh, the only thing that government's got to do to be uh, to prove that they're financially responsible is to uh, try and cut government spending. They don't understand that a budget affects the expenditure of um, one third of the GDP of the uh, uh, the economy. It has an impact on productivity and the way you can infect, affect productivity for the good is to invest in schools and uh, productive investment and also... Uh, course, it impacts on income distribution, which again, I mean, a society that has an egalitarian distribution of income is usually a happier and more productive society.
0: Now, Kenneth Davidson, uh, for many, many years, we've been reading your work in uh, mm-hmm. the Fairfax Media, critiquing the uh, the incredible costs of privatisation of your, as you've already alluded to us uh, the uh, the private. Uh, capital markets are a lot more expensive than, uh, than public borrowings. Uh, it, something I keep bringing up on this show is uh, after 30 plus years of privatising nearly everything under the sun, uh, how some of these costs are adding up. And here in Melbourne, uh, we have uh, uh, Serco running the parks and gardens services for the Melbourne City Council and the circo that many people will know as uh, running the world's uh, largest uh, private prison network uh, have the the audacity to tagline their uh, melbourne city council work vehicles with uh, the title bringing service to life now uh, you've often talked about the debt side of things but as uh, We look through so many different areas of government now. uh, Some of this handballing to the private sector is uh, continually adding up. And uh, we've got the Port of Melbourne uh, uh, leasing arrangement uh, currently uh, in play here in Melbourne. And you've been very critical about some of those uh, uh, plays there.
1: Well, it's not only me that's been critical of uh, those sort of uh, plays. Also, the Productivity Commission, who um, did a report on this recycling of public assets—you know, selling the public assets in order to raise revenue to invest in something else—which may not be as good in in social and economic terms, because there's a thing that's being sold. Now, but leaving that issue aside, I mean, the—if I can try and put it into really simple terms. Selling an asset like the Port of Melbourne, first of all, it's going to uh, set in concrete some rather nasty congestion planning issues around the Port of Melbourne area. That's number one. But number two is that the people who buy that asset will require uh, all sorts of uh, guarantees, implicit as well as explicit that there won't be competing infrastructure set up against this asset that they're taking over.
0: The free market.
1: The government, which is selling that asset, is more than happy to do that because they know that will maximise the upfront uh, price. The classic example where we see this is the sale of uh, airports, where the sale of airports was done with no planning uh, provisions in terms of the development that it c- could occur within and around the... Uh, The airports, but just leave it in in financial terms. These people, when they buy that asset, will require a return on investment of around about, uh, let's be conservative, 7 to 8 percent. Now, why should we raise money at 7 to 8 percent? To do grade separations on uh, uh, railway lines around suburban Melbourne, when if the government went out and borrowed the money directly on the mar- uh, on the market as government borrowings, they could pick up the uh, the money at about three and a half percent now. Now, I will give you the answer. The answer is that the people who are running the financial institutions which will be investing in this project are not interested in investing in uh, government bonds at, uh, let's be conservative again, 3.5%, although if you worked hard you'd probably get the money at at uh, 3 or even a little bit uh, below. Why should they invest the money that they've got and they've got oodles of it as a result of the compulsory superannuation, which I might add is no different to a proportional income tax, except of course that the uh, the people who pay this have no real say in how the money is spent, as they would if the process went uh, through Parliament. The reason is that uh, there are uh, this activity generates a huge amount of economic rents, which a number of people who are involved in this sort of decision making uh, find very lucrative.
0: They certainly do. and for me, I, I was uh, gobsmacked to find a story that uh, political insider told me about I'd missed, and that was that regarding the Port of Melbourne, uh, it was a recent Supreme Court ruling, that uh, cut the valuation of the, the land around the Port of Melbourne uh, from 665 million to 150 million and uh, they did that because they argued that um, the virgin swampland um, that uh, that existed in 1876 and the reclamation that overcame that um, was an improvement, and so that uh, $400 odd million dollars should not be included in uh, in the the lease leasing valuation upon which uh, the government's expecting to earn some $6 billion over the next uh, 15 to, to 50 years so uh, it's incredible how the public interest gets etched away out uh, from all sides and uh, in the end we're left with this budget emergency type mantra that will lead to more privatisation of our world leading health system
1: mm. yes well to uh, skin a cat but I mean it's very hard for these people to come out and say well we don't think that uh, you know you should have more more schools or more hospitals we we haven't got the money so we'll get some private person to do it but of course it ends up costing the taxpayer um, conservatively about twice as much as what it would cost if the government did it and it would would be better run Twice would be more open.
0: Twice as much. Where, is that a, a regular figure that's brought up these days that cost of privatisation is double what the public could deliver?
1: Well, I mean the cost of a PPP as an alternative to uh, uh, raising public debt. You have a look at the figures. I mean, you can raise uh, public debt at the moment for let's say about three, three and a half percent, and most of these PPPs. Uh, the weighted average cost of capital return to the investor is more than double that.
0: Right, you are.
1: It's not rocket science. But these people can't look, you know, people in the eye and say, uh, uh, you know, we can't afford to do it because we don't like you. Uh, They have to have a a sort of an excuse. And so we have this whole mantra about... uh, Public investment
0: is uh, is wasteful. And there we have Kenneth Davidson. Kenneth Davidson from Fairfax and formerly uh, Descent Magazine. So uh, very interesting to hear his insights there on how we could reduce some of these incredible cost overheads affecting uh, the public. And oh my my my! Uh, last night watching the budget was a very unconvincing. Uh, Scott Morrison, the new treasurer, and when uh, you have a look at it, uh, the government has one of the, if not well, George Megalonis, I'm sure he said last night, they have the, the highest spending government on record, on 25.8% of GDP. Uh, there's no new housing affordability initiatives. Uh, the spending there was barely CPI indexed. Homeless funding was frozen. Needless to say, negative gearing was untouched. Uh, infrastructure spending was up slightly, with roads up from what I could see some 60%. Property owners in Western Sydney will be celebrating with uh, the Western Sydney infrastructure plan up 242% to uh, $524 million. Remember that wherever infrastructure is provided, people want to live near these new services because it saves them time getting to work or uh, is a more beautiful environment with a new park there. So, uh, of course, the land values go up. So, uh, sure, there was a, a multinational tax, a multinational company tax crackdown. Uh, apparently, some of the, the thousands of ATO workers who were sacked two years ago are going to be reemployed, and uh, this is only going to bring in $650 million. It's uh, peanuts. And smokers, sure, they're going to be hit with some $4 billion over four years, but that pales in comparison to the almighty tax haven we're all um, some way or another involved in and that is our housing Uh, the price of australian land increased by 525 billion dollars last financial year the year before that was 345 billion dollars and of course here in victoria That upkick was $133.7 billion. But if you have a look in the Victorian Treasury budgets, found out the details there, they're only uh, saying that there's a $2 billion increase in uh, Victorian land values. So uh, thanks very much, Daniel Andrews. Give us back that uh, extra $131 billion, will you? Paul Little, the former chairman of the Essendon Football Club, some of you may have seen in the Australian yesterday, uh, bought a property for 18. billion million dollars two years ago filled out some paperwork uh, rubbed shoulders with a few uh, political insiders had his uh, 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 town planning application approved and he sold it this week for a goddamn 60 million dollars that is just incredible that is where this 525 billion dollars is coming from these rezoning windfalls so We have to look at this if we're ever to wind back these incredible um, budget deficits that the Liberal Party are enabling. It's just uh, going on and on and on, and uh, we need more people to uh, recognise that there must be a fairer way, not like what Malcolm Turnbull told us today, just ask your mum and dad, they're going to buy your property. Well, what about all those who miss out on it? Why should we be paying more and more for housing? It's just going to mean that our debts are going to keep going up and up and up. And very, very soon we're going to have uh, multi-generational mortgages. All right, my name's Carl Fitzgerald. Uh, thanks very much for listening to The Renegade Economist. Please share it with your networks and uh, ask us any questions uh, on the Facebook Earth Sharing page, um, Twitter under the same name, at Earthsharing course uh, email renegades at earthsharing.org.au okay four corners was on this week a big housing story our president Catherine Cashmore was involved a bit disappointing really they were a bit too light and supported the trickle down housing supply mantra shame on you four corners all right uh let's get out of here as uh, small talk is about to uh step in here on 3cr
1: Whether it's hip-hop, blues, reggae, jazz, opera, roots, curry or world music you're into, 3CR's music menu is serving it up to you.
0: You're with music, son.